the Alnarek Files. Archival tape from April 13, 1924. Researcher on duty was Georgiana Keyes, forwarded notes taken June 20, 2021, by Joni Chang, archival transcriptionist at the Alnwick Foundation, Toronto. This is Georgie Keyes, recording on April 13, 1924. Today I begin tailing Henry Marsh in the hopes that he will lead me to his distillery. I can't say for certain whether Hugo Marsh will be there or whether or not Henry is definitively involved in his brother's disappearance, but right now I don't see a lot of other ways forward. At the very least, I'll have something to show the police, even if it's not our missing professor. I don't know why I'm so fixated on this lead. It's weak, certainly weaker than the idea that Hugo just up and left due to personal reasons. But that moss, the moonshine, everywhere I turn, I find traces of one or the other, and I can't help think it means something. I'm going to head out. The sooner I can find something incriminating, the sooner I can be done with this whole wretched business. Note. Given that lugging a massive recording device out into the middle of the countryside wasn't a feasible option for Miss Keyes, the events that took place at 46 Hillshot Road, the site of Henry Marsh's distillery, is described in a written report she gave after the fact. The report reads as follows. Based on the sworn affidavit of witness Georgiana Keyes regarding events that took place on April 13, 1924, at 46 Hillshot Road, Toronto, Ontario. Where should I begin, then? I mean, at the beginning, obviously, but I'm not entirely sure where that is. Henry Marsh runs a moonshine operation out of a small and active farm a couple hours walk out of town. Based on findings from Hugo's apartment and interviews conducted with several witnesses, including Henry himself, it's clear that, whatever the strange moss his brother Hugo had been studying, it's linked to Henry's hustle. I took up my post outside Henry's apartment at 11 a.m., at noon, he left and set out on the two-hour walk to the overgrown farm lot I would come to know as his distillery. In the six hours I watched the farm, Henry moved between the farmhouse and the barn a handful of times, the only movement on the property. The only sign of life at all, I think. There were no birds calling out to each other, no rustle of voles and mice through the underbrush. I could hear the drone of insects from the neighboring property, but no such noises crept past the edge of 46 Hillshot Road, where I crouched until Henry left around 8 p.m. When he did finally leave, it was in a modest transport truck rattling with what could only be illegal hooch. It was only when I could no longer hear the putter and clink of the vehicle that I realized just how alone I was. The only living thing on the four acres that was 46 Hillshot Road. Not wanting to dwell too much on that fact, I set out for the farmhouse. The door was locked, naturally. Sure, it was empty out here, but Toronto has its fair share of squatters, and seemingly empty farms tend to be a pretty safe place to hunker down for the night. I tried my luck with a side window, and with a slight groan it slid open. Looking back on it, I think the house wanted me to find a way in. The whole place reeked of moonshine, and every available surface was piled high with the stuff, both loose and crated, ready to be shipped out. Marsh had a good operation going there, and honestly, if it weren't morally abhorrent, I might have been impressed with Henry's entrepreneurship. And that's when I heard the crash. I think it was less the noise so much as there being a noise at all that really spooked me. 
Stepping into the room, it became clear that the source of the crash had been a large rat. It was a nasty-looking thing, all patchy fur and a pair of mean, beady black eyes. The first life I had encountered on the property. And then... I don't really know how to explain this next part. Until then, I had neglected to turn on a flashlight, but the noise that the rat made, the kind of noise that makes your skin crawl and your hair stand up on end, that had me reaching for both the flashlight and the gun that I had neglected to strap to my hip that morning. Because what I had assumed to be a rug was really that horrid moss. It blanketed the room, and when I turned my flashlight on the walls, I saw that they too were covered. And then it... ate the rat. Maybe ate isn't the best word to describe it. Dissolved, maybe? One moment the rat was there, the next it was melting into the floor. I think I saw bone before it was pulled fully under. I got out of there faster than a bullet out of its chamber. I think the only reason the stuff didn't come after me was because of my light. At that moment, the only thing I wanted to do was get the hell out of there. But that's not exactly how my job works, is it? The barn was the only other thing of note, so I began to trek to where it stood at the opposite end of the lot. Locked, again. Henry appeared to have at least had the good sense to put a chain around the door. Not that it stood much of a chance against the axe I had found leaning against the nearby shed. The inside was piled high with what I can only assume was distillation equipment. Good quality stuff, too, given the lack of rust one would expect based on the state of the rest of the farm. There were barrels, too. Large ones meant for holding a lot of liquid. One of them held a man, or what was left of him. He was all bent and twisted up inside it, limbs at angles you can only achieve by breaking bones. Now, I've seen my share of dead bodies. You tend to when your job revolves around the paranormal, but that this was a whole new level of wrong. I don't remember much after that. The first thing I can recall is banging on the door of a farmhouse, pleading for whomever lived there to call the police. The woman who opened the door paled when she saw me, and passing the mirror hung in the hall outside where the telephone sat, I saw why. My face was covered in razor-thin scratches, it and my clothes flecked in now darkened blood. I think all of it was mine. I hope all of it was mine. There's not much to explain after that. I called the police and walked back to 46 Hellshot Road to wait for them. They arrived 15 minutes after I did and took the body away. It was Detective Beecham's men, so you know they won't talk. And they won't ask too many questions, either. Mr. Alnwick's made sure of that. It was well past midnight at that point, and Beecham had one of his fellows drive me back into town, promising to come by and take my statement the next morning. He should be here any minute now. Well, this certainly wasn't what we expected. You're telling me. I get sent to find a missing egghead, and instead, I find his corpse at the heart of one of the most notorious moonshine operations in Toronto. How did you find out about that, anyways? Hey now, you know the drill. The Alnwick Foundation solves a case for you, and you don't ask us how we do it. Of course. And you're certain that the person behind this is Henry, Henry Marsh? Henry Marsh, the brother of the dead man. Yes, I'm sure. I tailed him here and saw him drive off with a truckload of moonshine. My guess is that Hugo found out about his brother's operation and confronted him about it. I found a bottle of Henry's moonshine in his office. Things got heated. Hugo probably threatened to take this to you down at the clubhouse, and Henry shut him up before he could. Have your fellas taken a look at the property? It was too dark last night. 
for going in today with a larger crew. Did you see anyone besides Henry on the property? None whatsoever. My f a witness I interviewed said that Henry's the only one who delivers the shipments. And this isn't over yet. Marsh's arrest might smoke the rest of his fellas out, but there's no telling with people like this. I think it's best if the Foundation lets us handle it from here. All right. See you around, Detective. It doesn't like light. What? The strange pale moss in the farmhouse. It doesn't like light. So if you send your fellows in there, make sure they've all got flashlights. Seems to be of the toxic variety, so I'd steer clear of it altogether if I were you. If you say so, Keys. This is Georgie Keyes recording my final statement with regards to the disappearance of Hugo Marsh on March 27, 1924. It has been confirmed that the body I found was Hugo, or rather, what's left of him. Sitting in a barrel for two weeks doesn't normally leave a lot for the police to work with, but the alcohol that was also in there kept him more or less intact. The police have him now, and I have no doubts they'll get him to sing soon enough. Still, I can't help but feel this is far from over. The way that moss grew in the farmhouse, the way it absorbed that rat, it's not natural, which is right up the alley for an organization like ours. But I can't help but feel like I've just begun to uncover something, and I don't think I'm going to like what I find if I keep digging. Then and again, that's the routine with cases like this. The duty of the Alnerick Foundation is to hunt down the evil, twisted things that lurk in our city's underbelly, and then snuff them out before anyone else can fall victim to them. <sighs> what a job. The Alnerick Files is written by Charlotte Dolesky and directed by Charlotte Dolesky and Riley Armstrong. For more information on this episode, as well as a full cast and credits list, see our show notes in the description. Rate and review us on iTunes, follow us at Alnwick Radio on Instagram, contact us via the questions box on Spotify or our email, alnwickradio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>